Um, okay, right, let's do this. Okay, so um, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Chatter. Uh, today I am delighted to be joined by Chris Ferguson, a PhD psychologist, author of uh, Moral Combat, Why the War on Violent Video Games is Wrong, and How Madness Shape History. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on today. I appreciate it. No problem. Um, so yeah, I find you because your your Twitter account, which is constantly pumping out interesting takes on stuff. Uh, <laughs> uh, I haven't gotten cancelled yet. All right, that's. A... <laughs> I mean, that's a bonus. Yeah. That's the, I mean, that's that's why I've managed to to, to keep going. No one has yet cancelled me. We'll see. <laughs> Hopefully not. Um, but yeah, so you t- you talk about a lot of um, yeah, on the on the wire issues, uh, shall we say? Um, <laughs> And the first one, actually, the, the the first one that came across in my, like, you know, recommended Twitter feed from yours was um, you were talking about social media and its link towards mental health and suicide. So yeah. um, the narrative generally is, and one that I like that seems to, you know, have qu- quite a lot of support evidenti- uh, evidentiarily, evidentiarily mm. is that the in, the the uptake of social media and the increase of of technology and what whatever that means in terms of like connectedness um and and the way that especially young people um use technology to communicate and and interact has led to for some reason um an increase in mental health problems um especially yeah. amongst, amongst young women um now people point at things like instagram um for like uh presenting unrealistic body images or or things where people on social media generally will make their lives out to be better than they are. And then everyone will be like, oh my goodness, you know, my life sucks in comparison. And, and um, or there's uh, things like this inability to sort of disconnect from that and sort of, you know, yeah. retreat from the, the, the madness of the world and, and have like sort of time where your brain switches off. Like there's, there's a lot of things people point to. Um, but one of the things that, that I, I saw that you and maybe correct me on your your actual yeah. like exact take on this, but like it seemed that you were suggesting that there isn't as much of a, a link between social media and this rise in mental health problems as as we would maybe think. Correct. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, there's probably a few different directions I could kind of go go with that. I mean, probably one thing to to maybe try to keep in mind is is like thinking. For people who are old enough to remember, like th- twenty years back, <laughs> you know, th- if you thought of, like the early two thousands, there was a very similar narrative about like violent video games and and uh, mass homicides and every- all the kinds of other horrible things we did. And same kind of narrative, you know, like politicians and some scholars are out there in the news media. Everybody's kind of on board with this idea, like the the evidence is conclusive that there's this effect for of violent video games in in ways that matter in in the real world and we should have legislation to prevent kids from accessing um this material is a public health crisis and then now here we are 20 years later and you know the narrative is is really changed quite a bit you know there's still some people that believe that you know by by all means but but in terms of you know it's it's harder pressed to find someone um who's in the field at least that would make that level of claim you know about about video games you know and now that when you do see a politician you know i think in the u.s the last one was was our president trump you know kind of make this claim about like like violent video games it gets a lot of pushback at this point which was not the case 20 years ago so my point being is that you know sometimes we, we kind of remember these past moral panics about 
video games or rock music or Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. or comic books or the radio in nineteen in 1940s and this kind of stuff. You know, we can kind of see the pattern and we can kind of guess where it's going to go. And what happens is like society and by society, I really mean like old people, like, like, like form this kind of a narrative. And then they just kind of like try to like shove the evidence into that narrative because it's already what they want to think is is true. And you can always find a few scholars who will support it. And of course, you know, politicians will do what politicians do. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, if, if you actually look at the evidentiary base, you know, and I do some research on social media, just like I did on violence and video games, um, it's far, far weaker than what you would think, you know, from, from what you hear in the, the general news media and, you know, in the general public and such. So, you know, there are some studies that, you know, most of them are self-report surveys, uh, you know, and I'll really kind of speak to the ones on teenagers, you know, for the most part. Um, but, um, you know, what do they do is they take a large, large group of teenagers typically and give them these big surveys. They don't really check that the kids are filling them out reliably first off. That's one thing that's worth noting. Um, you know, so we don't even know that the responses are terribly reliable for the most part. Um, but, you know, they basically ask you, how much social media did you use? Then how depressed are you? You know, and and first off, when you kind of ask questions in that way, it already creates a, you know, if people can kind of guess what you're hypothesizing. They'll tend to like change their answers in a way that supports hypothesis. But but also, if you kind of look at these studies, some find evidence for effects and some don't. So the evidence is pretty inconsistent and sort of universally across these studies is that the effect sizes are very very small so you know for like for for your listeners you know you don't know what i mean by an effect size like if i you know in terms of like your heart rate if i give you an aspirin that might have an effect on your heart rate but it's going to be much less of an effect than if i shoot you Right. You know, so <laughs> both have an effect <laughs> on your heart rate. Uh, but the effect size is very different from one thing to uh, you know, to another. Um, so what we tend to find is in these these studies. Now, the thing is, this is a bit of statistical inside baseball, but the bigger the sample, the more likely you are to find statistical. The effect size is the, is the same as like for eating potatoes on suicidal ideation or in my case, wearing eyeglasses on uh, suicidal ideation, you know, but so like literally you can find statistically significant relationships between all of these things, but we don't run around, you know, warning parents about the dangers of eating potatoes or wearing eyeglasses, um, you know, so there's a lot of context that's that's taken out of it. So the other thing that people kind of ignore is that teens actually don't kill themselves much. If you look at like suicide rates in um, in the U.S., I'm less familiar with U.K. rates, but I think they're pretty similar. Um, that teens, generally speaking, are one of the lowest groups for committing suicide, which I don't, and teen girls particularly, boys commit suicide more than girls do, uh, at least in the U.S. Uh, So I think they're, you know, what's happening is people are looking at teen girls and thinking, well, if suicides have risen in this age group, it must be because of their technology that they're adopting. But the reality is, is in the U.S., you know, the two groups of, of individuals who have the highest suicide rates and have seen the highest increase in suicides are mid-20s Native American men, which is probably not a shocker for most people, but maybe a bit more surprising is middle-aged white guys like me, um, you know, to have, you know, they're just, just below mid-20s Native American men in terms of their suicide rate, you know. Um, so, you know, particularly the middle-aged 
dues are relatively low. You know, I guess some of us are on Facebook posting pictures of our family vacations and stuff, but we're not like typically dedicated uh, social media users. So I think part of what's happening too is people are looking at teens in isolation of other age groups. Um, and that's causing a misdiagnosis of this problem. Telling kids that they're being raised in this like racist, oppressive, you know, fascist, you know, the earth is burning to a crisp, you know, a kind of catastrophizing uh, type of system. You know, income inequality has increased in the U.S. over the last decade or so. Um, political polarization, you know, uh, as, as you may have noticed, has increased in the yeah, U.S. Just, so we have a lot of a things that are going on in the U in the U.S. and, and of course other countries are experiencing. Uh, I, I, I joke that like whatever we do, Canada wants to like, like excel at at even greater levels for some reason. I don't know why. Um, but, uh, you know, so if you think bad things are bad in the U.S. and they are, you know, try Canada. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but anyway, so there are a lot of things that are happening and, there, and a lot of these things are negative or at least the narrative around them is very, very negative. And I think we need to take a bigger look at sort of all these things that are going on. Some of them are, re are real issues, like income inequality is a real issue. Mm -hmm. you know, but the idea that like racism and sexism is and the earth is going to burn to a crisp in 11 years or any of this kind of stuff is, is uh, you know, catastrophizing. You know, and I think and there are, you know, certainly anecdotal quotes I've seen from teenagers saying, like, you know, part of the reason I can't sleep at night is because, you know, I, I'm living in a hellhole, you know. But if you, live, you look at the actual data, um, you know, the world, this is the best time to be alive as a human being or any critter, you know, ever, essentially. Racism's way down, you know. Uh, you know, most people are able to survive, you know, whether it's income or healthcare or things like that. Like, they never could in history. You know, sure, we have problems. It's not a utopia, but we need to be a little bit more balanced. So I think that's what's going on. I think that's why it's affecting everybody. One of the best predictors of teen suicide is having a family member who's committed suicide or a peer who has. So we need to really kind of look at things in a much more holistic way than like obsessing over teens only and then trying to tag that to something teens do. So I think the evidence all around is just not good for this, this narrative. Mm. So, right. Just to, to, to make sure I've got this right. Um, the basically what you're saying is that in a lot of senses, the the rise in mental health problems is not associated just to to teens and therefore yeah. we can't attribute it just to an increase in social media use amongst younger people correct um so we can look at other things so yeah there's definitely like climate anxiety or climate i don't know there's there's a term for it i think it's climate is it climate anxiety or um sure. I, I believe it some, something <laughs> probably sounds something, good it sounds right some, something like that in the middle of in we'll the middle of the term today if not <laughs> yeah um so but there's that there's um i don't know just the interconnectedness itself perhaps makes people a lot more aware mm. of of a lot of the tragedy that exists in the world whereas before yeah. maybe you would have heard about the odd murder or something on the news yeah. But like, aside from that, like you knew what was going on on your street, you know, right. or, or in your town or, or, you know, that's your, yeah. your understanding of the world didn't go to, oh my goodness, look at like, Hey, these just stop oil people like in another country doing this thing, or, yeah. you know, look at these people suffering in a war halfway around the world, yeah. you know, in many, many cases of which we've started, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> but like, 
we were just f further disconnected from it. So do you think that like so what would you what would your assessment be of the the primary factor that's driving this? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, people have a difficult time distinguishing anecdote from like a generalized experience, you know, it's like, so we call it the availability heuristic, you know, in psychology that if you can remember a really striking anecdote, it tends to, or a series of anecdotes, I mean, airplane crashes are kind of like the, the, the cliche example of this, that people tend to vastly overestimate the frequency with which, you know, that is happening, you know, so yeah. we see this and it's complicated, right? You know, so, you know, obviously one thing we're struggling with in the U.S. is, of course, like the mass homicide issue, right? You know, that we have, you know, probably per capita more mass homicides than other countries do. Now, other countries do have them. Serbia just had two in a row in the, in the last month. Uh, you know, so it, it does happen in Europe. It does happen in other parts of the parts of the world, you know, as well. But, you know, because we have, you know, a lot of firearms, then it's not a, a shocker uh, that they would occur more frequently in the U.S. But they're still very, very rare. Um, you know, in the U.S. So with a lot of these things, too, I think people have difficulty realizing a problem can be like a four instead of everything has to be an 11, you know, kind of thing. So I think what happens is people see these these anecdotes. They are terrible. They're tragedies. And of course, you know, they're they're frightening. Um, but the reality is, is most Americans, it was 330 million people. You know, most people have never seen one of these, have never been in one of these, don't know anybody who's been in one of these. You know, your odds of being in a mass homicide in the U.S. are still much less than being struck by lightning or something of that sort. You know, they're very, very rare, you know, phenomenon. But we see them and we tend to think they're much more common. They're happening all over the place. And and then instead of being able to say, like, OK, this is this is something we're bad at. I mean, which we are. I mean, we, we can be honest and say, like, this is something that we're not doing very well with. And saying, well, it's kind of a thorny issue, though. Right. Because we have the Second Amendment, you know, and we have. You know, people on both sides of this debate who yeah. have reasonable concerns. So how do we find a road forward, you know, in a compromising way to try to make things incrementally better? The narrative becomes, you know, we haven't fixed this. We never will fix this. Screw. I don't know how you feel about swearing. I should have asked that. By yeah, it's but, fine. You know, Go screw. for it. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the other side. <laughs> They're all fascists or communists or whatever, you know, and the U.S. sucks. You know, and then and then of course it doesn't help. They have a lot of Europeans also going, ah, the Europe sucks. <laughs> you know, also, <laughs> you know, um, so I think it, it creates, you know, so all that stuff I think is a block, right, mm -hmm. to actually fixing the problem. You know, all that kind of negativity actually makes things worse uh, to some extent. So you see, people will say like, you know, we literally are going to take everybody's guns away. I've seen people on the left will say that we're literally going to take everybody's guns away, and I'll and I'll say to them, well, I mean, you know, I support some aspects of gun control. But if you say this, you just lost half the country. I mean, they're just not going to compromise with you all. Oh, well, fuck them. Well, you can't. You, you, no, you can't. You, you cannot make this work unless you figure out ways of working with that other side. You know, and if you tell them, yes, we literally are going to take all of your currently legal firearms away. Mm -hmm. You've just lost the ability to work with that, that group of people. You know, so it's, it's like the cliche of the perfect being the enemy of the good. Mm -hmm. um, you know, right. Um but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sort of struck by that. Uh, you know, I mean, I've lived in the U.S. all my life. Yeah, but, yeah, it's it's embarrassing, of course, that we have this problem with mass homicides. But it doesn't, you know, if you come to vacation in Orlando, you're not going to get shot. You know, I, you know um, you're probably going to be less likely to get beat up than if you were in the U.K., you know, is, is, the, you know, <laughs> is, is the reality of it. 
uh, you know, so you're going to be fine, you know, but people are going to think, oh, my God, it's like they're shooting each other in the streets. And No, we're not, you know, and and, and those kind of like narratives, I think, actually make progress. Again, it's not that it's not a real issue. Maybe you could say mass homicides is like a six. You know, we really should do something about it. Right. But it's not like going to like impact us, any of us on a daily basis. You know, most of us. Um, and we can treat it like a six. And if we treat it like a six, we might actually make more progress than if we treat it like an 11 you know, which is what we're doing, mm-hmm. um, you know, what we're doing now. So that, I think a lot of that kind of stuff gets in the way. Of, it's all the emotion, right? All the emotion and fear and and also sanctimoniousness around yeah. it that actually gets in the way of people being able to sit down with others who disagree and come up with workable solutions to a real problem. Okay. So, like, we the, the the hysteria might be like an 11 right but the real the actual reaction isn't this is like so you get oh we need to take all the guns away but that's not a serious response right. like like people treat it like this monstrous issue but they don't want to do anything about it like yeah maybe you stop putting so many kids on horrendous dissociative drugs mm. you know maybe yeah. you, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know maybe <laughs> maybe just maybe you could like try and deal with the like the economic system or situation in some yeah. of the more impoverished parts of the country yeah. and people yeah. wouldn't feel either desperate enough to just go out and start shooting or isolated enough because they have you know nowhere to turn um you know the the the, the shooting is not it's that this is going to sound bad the shooting is not the problem obviously that's a huge problem right but yeah. that's like the shooting <laughs> The shooting if you're on the, is, if you're yeah. on the receiving side of it is the problem. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, if yeah. you're if you're on the other side of it, it's, it's still a problem. Like you're it's still a problem. You're, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but like, my point is that like the thing causing it is not the the shooting isn't causing itself. Yeah. You know, there's a big cause there that no one's dealing with. Like, yeah. I, I've never ever in any of these discussions seen. Okay, so why did this guy end up in a situation or girl? Yeah, end up in a situation where they f- turned to violence and mm-hmm. you know ultimately uh, just wanted to go out in a blaze of death. You know, yeah. and you, for whatever reason, like the the assessment is never how did this person get there. Mm-hmm. It's like oh, but they had a gun. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's and and yeah. yeah. Why do you think that is? Like, why do you think that? Because, because it it happens enough, right? Like the yeah. the you know you get I, I don't know you maybe one every couple of weeks still. Like I know it's a massive country with a lot yeah. of guns, so it's still a tiny portion of what's actually happening in the country. Right, but right. They, they happen frequently enough to spark this debate frequently enough. But that is yet that's never the way that the debate goes. It's like, mm-hmm. well, we're going to take all the guns. Well, no, fuck you. You can't have our guns. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, Which is not a productive discussion. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> so like what's going on yeah. that we're not getting to the productive discussion. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, tri- I mean, a lot of it's tribalism, right? You know, people get on both sides of this thing and then they come up with narratives like truisms, you know, uh, and everybody then ends up with social pressure to support the truisms. You know, so for instance, you know, if you were, you know, we're talking about like the guns and, you know, and of course, you know, as you say, this is a complicated issue. 
you know, but on the other hand, we have to recognize guns are a part of it. You know, I mean that, you know, if you look at, for instance, and, and a lot of people in Europe don't know this, if you actually look at the assault rate in the U.S., just just people beating each other. That's why I make a joke about the U.K., so, so sorry about that. But uh, actually, our assault rate is about average for a European country. Um, you know, we don't really assault each other any more than, say, France. In fact, you're more likely to get beaten up in Paris or London. I mean, I made a joke. I want this. It's true. You are more likely to get assaulted in the U.K. Uh, than you are in the U.S. You can try this empirically. You can you can go into a, a bar in Miami and say, I hate the Miami Dolphins and see what happens. And then go to Manchester and say, I hate Manchester United and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I bet over a number of repetitions <laughs> of this. <laughs> You will see that, you know, you are in fact more <laughs> to get assaulted in the UK than you are in the US. So, you know, people point out, well, all right, blah, blah. And it's true, actually, the, the all the Anglophone countries, with the exception of Canada, so the UK, Ireland, Scotland, New Zealand, Australia, all have higher assault rates in the US. So does France and Belgium. Um, I don't know what's going on with the, with the Belgians. You know, I don't know if they're you know they're not French, they're not Dutch. They don't know what's going on. I don't know maybe that's got something you know that's uh, that's making them antsy. But um, so people point out, well, yeah, that's nice, but you have this really high homicide rate, which we which we do compared to Europe uh, or Japan or South Korea, places like that. Not compared to Brazil or or Venezuela or Mexico. If you want, you know those those, those or South Africa, those are the places that, like really on fire. Um, but we do for a for European country, we have way high homicide rate. And, and so then it comes a question, well, what's the difference? Right. I mean, well, obviously, firearms make it easy to convert an assault into a homicide. You know, in, in the UK, you guys have to have like a lot of like, you know, uh, actual, you know, energy, right. To like strangle someone or like beat them with a pipe or something of that sort or knife them. Right. You well, know, you got a knife then that's the London. Style. Yeah. <laughs> it takes more effort. You know, who wants that? You know. Um, so, so it is part of it, but you know, and, and then on the right, I think people will be, you know, really, really like, they don't want to give any ground and acknowledge, well, probably firearms are an element of this issue, you know, but then of course they'll point out, well, yeah, but if you look at the 1940s, we had, we still had, you know, the second amendment, we still had firearms everywhere and our, our violent crime rate was not much different from Europe, you know, at, at the time, right? That's a very fair point to make. So it's not just that, you know, and um, some of it is mental health, which means that people on the left are not going to want to admit that that's part of the problem. Mm -hmm. If you look at mass homicide perpetrators, you know, they almost all have serious mental health issues of one sort, you know, or another. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, again, verboten to say on on the left so i mean there's a lot of this kind of like walls around a bunch of different other issues as well that are like i just can't admit that mental health is a part of this issue you know or i just can't admit that maybe a lot of, having a lot of guns around is a part of this issue because if you were to admit those two things you might start to say well well maybe we don't want the mentally ill to have the guns you know and then you know maybe we could try to come up with some like reasonable policies that would make it, you know, I, yeah, it's going to inevitably make it a little bit more difficult for people to get firearms, uh, you know, but <laughs> but maybe, you know, uh, so, you know, some of that's OK. You know, we have to get a license to drive and do other things, you know, so maybe, you know, an occasional even if it's a 10 minute visit with a psychologist or something or, you know, whatever, or if you have a history of 
you know, beating your wife or uh, being a member of a gang or something of that sort, or you've been in a psychiatric hospital, maybe you should be on the, I mean, we're starting to move in that direction. We do now have uh, what are called red flag laws, which are kind of like that, which are what it sounds like. If you assault your spouse or, you know, uh, have schizophrenia, then you get flagged. So you're not supposed to, uh, you know, I think theoretically the police can come to your house and take your firearm, but um, you know, so we're moving in that direction a little bit, but you know, but that did, and that was bipartisan, you know, but it required people to kind of admit, well, maybe we don't want an AR 15 in someone's hands if they have schizophrenia, you know, and that requires both sides to admit that both some, you know, or like you said, poverty that, you know, that, yeah, we want like Chicago <laughs> to, to be different than it is today, um, yeah. you know, or some parts of it, right? You walk through downtown Chicago, it's fine, but you know, there are parts of it that you know, you, you and of course, there are parts of Paris you don't want to go to either, but you know, um, but you know, we, we, we'd like that to not be the you know, the situation you know, that that it is, and part of that is acknowledging that we do have you know, a certain percentage of the population. Um, that uh, is economically struggling, and maybe again, you know, the, the right don't want to do that because that means more taxes and giving the money from wealthier people to people that are struggling mm-hmm. you know and uh you know and the left is really tr- we, in the u i don't know about the uk but in the left the uh, the they really turned away from class issues a lot you know in in the uh in the mm-hmm. left um so it's all about like race and that kind of stuff now our identity um, yeah and- we're pretty much there in the uk it's really really <laughs> pisses me off if i'm quite honest and it doesn't even have to be class issues it's just like economic issues. Yeah, they've abandoned all of it. Yeah, yeah. In pursuit, people just get weird ideas yeah. about what to do in school too. You know, rather that we have a whole thing about reading now. That you know that they they abandoned phonics and started doing this, this like whole word reading, which is almost like sounds to me like trying to like decipher hieroglyphics in a way is like the weirdest way of teaching. Yeah, it's very very strange. It doesn't work. Uh, so now some schools are switching back to phonics, I think. But also just like the whole like critical race theory debate and that kind of stuff, like. You know, uh, you, you know, maybe we should get kids like learning math before we tell them that the U.S. sucks. You know, yeah, but uh, man, math, math is racist. Yeah. That's what I heard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Does two plus two really equal four? You know, I don't know. Uh, so Does objective. it equal oppression? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen that the decolonizing math stuff, where like getting the right answers is no longer, you know. Uh, I, I, I'm going to be nervous crossing a bridge in the, in the, in the future. If this is, you know, are these become our engineers. <laughs> but like, did you know what? Do you know what the most stupid part about that? Until you got to decolonize math. Do you know what the dumbest and actually most fucking discriminatory bit of that is? Right? Yeah. They are suggesting that that like competence in mathematics <laughs> is is the is the mark of the oppressor of the colonial West. Right, yeah. so as if Africa is just like inherently bound to get it wrong, and yeah. can like can <laughs> don't have the that they they don't have the capability, or they they were too free, yeah. they were too yeah. free before the evil colonialists came yeah. and taught them how to do a sum, yeah, and and now they are oppressed by you know <laughs> mathematics yeah. i don't even like it's it's such a stupid stupid argument it's a weirdly racist argument yeah you know, right. about, like you know that getting the right answer is 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 whiteness we come to a surprise to, to a fair number of 
like Chinese, Japanese, South Korean, you know, Middle Eastern, Indian, you know, name other places, you know, South South uh, American, you know, mathematicians who are done doing a ton of math and <laughs> and historically, you know, I mean, you know, a lot of you know, in the Middle Ages, math was you know handled mostly through North Africa and the Middle East and yeah, stuff. You yeah, know, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. They, they didn't want to get the right answer. <laughs> Ottoman, the Persians, Ottoman Empire. Yeah. This is a good example of how like the wackiest ideas can like take hold in a group of people I think are fairly smart. And, you know, with the right social milieu, you know, it is this like the emperor has no clothes kind of effect that, you know, everybody knows that we probably should teach poor kids math. Like if they, if you want them to like excel in life that like reading and math and getting the right answer and speaking some kind of, you know, coherent, uniform version of, you know, their national language, whatever that is for any given country, is probably good. Um, but, you know, uh, but, and I think everybody knows this, right? But, you know, but then you, you wrap it in this kind of like moral crusade and you threaten people's jobs and livelihood and that kind of stuff. And nobody wants to point out that, like, yeah, we probably should be teaching kids math and reading, um, not whatever the hell it is that <laughs> we're doing now, you know, uh, critical race theory or, or, or all these other things that have become like, you know, touchstones in the U S. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's, it's the weirdest thing like the, that these ideas have taken hold. And like, you know, you, your book that you wrote, um, people go buy it. Um, how madness shaped history, like madness is still shaping our world today. Yeah. Like in, in so, so, so many ways, like, um, even down to like, you can do the, the Matthias Desmet thing. He believed like some of COVID had induced mass formation psychosis. Mm -hmm. Um, but like the bit that really gets me is, is the, the, the spit of like dementia patients in the mm -hmm. upper echelons of politics, like and especially yeah. in especially in America, right? Yeah. Because because we have um like okay, there's some older politicians in our in our in our parliament, right? But not in the way that there is in America. Yeah. Like Nancy Pelosi should be in a home. Yeah. Diane Feinstein should be yeah. in a home. Yeah. Or like at least like they should be both under twenty four hour supervision. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, cause yeah. you know, there's some clips of Nancy Pelosi, and you just go, is she just is is she all there? I don't think yeah. she is. And then yeah. like the fucking the, the pre your president is even uh, worse. Like people used to think Trump was a bit off his rocker. I think he is a little bit off his rocker, right? Yeah, I think but like, but yeah. but he's not like just not there. Yeah, the, the amount of videos I've seen of Joe Biden like finishing a speech, yeah. he's no idea where he is. Yeah, yeah, you know, there was a video the other day I saw where he, he got stopped by one of his staffers in the Capitol building and had to be told where he was and that he was going the complete wrong direction. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I, like, because you could audibly hear what the girl was saying to him. I was like, wow, yeah, that is the leader of the free world. Yeah, yeah, and nobody says a word like yeah. I've heard that like people, people not saying anything about Roosevelt being in a wheelchair out of respect yeah. for him, right. But, yeah, yeah. Like, but that's just a physical, like, you know, that's a respect thing because of your yeah, physical, yeah. like, condition. This is a, this is an elder abuse thing yeah. that we're looking at. <laughs> like, in, in all of their cases, yeah. the fact that, yeah. the fact that no one from the party has come, come by and gone, do you know what? You've done a great job. You've, you've served us well. 
trying us, to move along yeah us being the party not us being the the the, the united states yeah. of america but you served yeah, yeah. the party and and it's time like we're gonna bring in some fresh young yeah. blood yeah i i just don't i can't wrap my head around why <laughs> why you're like and why the, the all of the members of the party like okay i get like maybe the out of touch like yeah. people at the top do you know what i mean they're just like well you know we'll just we keep it in the inner circle for the greater good the greater good like yeah, i can see that happening but i can't yeah. understand why like people continue to vote for people who are just like on death's door <laughs> yeah well i mean if you look at uh, i mean i think it, the one thing the uk has going for it right is that you have a you, you rotate your prime minister every six months it seems like yeah. this point, right <laughs> I've lost track. I couldn't. I, I mean, I, I'm embarrassed to say I've, I've lost track of with the gentleman. I'm, I had a former picture of him in my mind. I can't remember his name at this point. But last one I remember was Johnson. Then there was the one that was like there and gone. And then like I don't forget it was like six months. Like that. What so, six anyway. months? No, it was it was like forty two days, man. Okay. <laughs> one one like one of our tabloid newspapers put up a stream saying who will last longer, Liz Truss or this lettuce. And it was a, just a stream, a 24-hour live stream of a lettuce decaying. And the lettuce lived longer than she did That's as right. Prime Minister. Like yeah. But I mean, if somebody does a, does a maybe that's good, right? Because then you can get rid of the, I don't know. But um, no, I mean, look, you know, so we're, we're going to have the same damn election, I think, as we did four years ago. I mean, I know. you know, so nobody wants it. No, like, but majority of people don't want this you know if you look at like us but i think something like 70 percent of, of you know of, if you like, give them lineup trump versus biden do you do you want this lineup something like 75 percent of american voters like hell no i want something new but it's just you know the weakness of uh, first we have this primary system that's absolutely caters to the extreme crazy people you know because most of us have jobs and family and it's hard for us to get out to vote uh you know um and also like in florida so i'm an independent i'm not either democrat or republican um you know uh and and i can't vote in a primary uh, so i can't vote for either side you know so we're a lot of us are just locked out of the primary system um so anyway yeah so you get like someone like right now on the republican side of course trump is the front runner maybe desantis will you know, uh, you know, which is, I think is is better. Um, and then we have, I think Tim Scott and then Nikki ha Haley, who are both I think actually very good politicians. I think you know either that I don't know them. I know Nikki Haley better than Tim Scott, but they both come across as like reasonable human beings. You know that aren't like Trump. Um, yeah. You know, I mean Nikki Haley's definitely gunning for that VP slot for whoever wins. <laughs> I like... think that yeah, everybody says he's running for VP. <laughs> Um, you know, good for her. I mean, I, I actually, you know, I mean, Trump's pretty old too, so you know, uh, maybe she will be president. <laughs> you know, from a uh, roundabout way. You know, again, very, very, very clear. I, I, I never want to like wish like death on anybody, no matter what. But you know, um, but on the other hand, yeah, I mean, it's just like you know, who we got like running against Biden is like you know Robert uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. Yeah, it sounds like yeah. <laughs> I just like I literally just want to watch him throw a spanner in the works. <laughs> like he says a lot of great things i don't know if i trust him yet i don't no, know I think, he's done yeah, a lot we'll of, he's done a lot of very very neocon yeah. neoliberal shit in his life yeah. and i i maybe he's like you know turned over a new leaf or maybe he's just <laughs> saying the right things yeah but um at least i'm enjoying like i'm gonna enjoy watching him throw a spanner in the works because the yeah. more people see him the more of those 75 percent of people will go yeah. fuck it 
Yeah. <laughs> See, the problem, though, is like, you know, what happens, of course, is, is our news media, which is also polarized, mm. you know, um, and, and credit to the UK. I, I think BBC always comes out as one of the least polarized uh, media. Okay, okay, maybe not. All right. <laughs> it's not even, they're not like polarized as much as they are just very pro status quo. Oh, yeah, fair enough. You fair know, pro establishment, pro status quo. Like, yeah. they'll criticize the government, but don't go too far. Like, yeah, yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have, like, in the, in the US, like, the, the left media just, just won't give, you know, Kennedy any attention whatsoever because they're, you know, sort of protection mode um, for, uh, you know, for Biden. And of course, you know, they love the idea of, of Trump running because it's good for them, right? You know, it's, it gets some ratings. Yeah. You know, CN- CNN never had such good ratings as when Trump was president, you know, because everybody wanted to read how he was going to get impeached or was going to resign or was going to, you know, I don't know, do something. Every It was every month, there was a new story about how we were, you know, Trump's out in a few months, no guaranteed, and like four years of that. <laughs> This never happened. Anyway, so yeah, it's it's not looking good. <laughs> do you know what the problem? Do you know what the biggest problem is, right? Yeah, what's is that? That he's he's still really funny. Yes, like he- I I I I know that it's the like what like I I think I think Trump would not be as bad as more Biden, right? Mm-hmm. I think more Trump is not as bad as more Biden. Yeah, but either of them is a horrible choice. But like the problem is, is Trump is still really funny. Like when yeah. he did that town hall the other yeah. day, and like he, someone like they asked him about the election, the twenty twenty election, and he was just like, you know, he was like, well, everyone could see that there was something up there. Only st- only stupid people don't see that there was something going wrong. There was something weird going on there, and I was just cracking up. <laughs> I was like, I, this guy is just he's just really fucking funny. He's funny. He is funny. I'll grant him that. <laughs> it's- but. Uh- no, it's it's the shame is you know we you know on the Republican side we do have some backbenchers who would be pretty good. I mean, like I said, Nikki Haley or Tim Scott, something like that might be all right. Even you know even at this point, I wouldn't even give Pence a chance. You know, um, but on the Democrat side, I mean, the other problem is this, there's nobody you know that you know nobody likes you know Kamala Harris, uh, you know, and and Pete. I can never pronounce his last name, Buttigieg or something like that. Yeah, I can never pronounce his last name. I, 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 four years, I haven't been able to get it. Um, you know, the invisible not... transport secretary. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So I mean, it, I mean, we have like like the, the mayor of New York, Eric Adams. I think you know probably would you know if this, they have to like go down to like you know a lower level, bring somebody up pretty high. And I think they do have some people that are maybe you know a few generations down. Um, but yeah, you know, the people that would probably be. Um, uh, at the forefront of replacing Biden, nobody wants, you know. So I think that's the Democrats' big problem: is is Biden or nothing, and they kind of know it, you know, for this uh, for this election. And you know, they're going to think about it, like you know, I, you know, if it did come down to like, you know, Biden versus Trump, you know, uh, like as I agree with you in the sense of like, I, neither is a good choice, you know. And I'm tempted to write in Bugs Bunny and just send that in for all that my folks going to be worth on this one. I think. Um, Jesse you know, Ventura, get 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 the right in for Jesse. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I might try if, if they do. There are always these third parties that threaten to, you know. Uh, we we have one no labels. I think is is you know. So maybe what the hell, I'll, you know, I'll vote for a third party as a protest vote or something. I don't know. But I do kind of think about like in terms of like is the United States better now than it was four years ago, kind of thing. It's you know. 
I don't know. I mean, I would say, you know, in my area, so I, I occupy very lefty spaces because I'm an academic. I'm on the center left myself, you know. Um, and I would say, like, if you say it's like wokeness, for lack of a better term, or critical social justice, whatever you want to call this thing, is it better now than it was? Yeah, you know, um, not because of anything Biden did, you know, uh, if anything, I think he sometimes has catered to that, you know, but um, but I, I do sort of worry about the sense of like having like Darth Vader, you know, essentially in the form of Trump. Is that like motivating for a bunch of illiberalism on the left? you know, that I have to deal with, you know, so that's also part of the calculus is like, which of these, uh, which of the two evils is calming the U.S. down better? Neither one is doing it super effectively. Um, but I, I think, that, you know, in the last couple of years has been a lot more like pushback against this kind of illiberalism on the left than there have been, you know, three or four years ago. And that's good. You know, it's one of those things like if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm a little wary about going back to the, the Trump uh, years, which seemed to fuel a lot of the craziest stuff on the left. It fueled a lot of crazy stuff on the right, too. But, you know, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't I don't know what to do. Yeah, <laughs> when some miracle yeah. happens and we end up with, you know, Nikki Haley versus Eric Adams or something like that. That'd be like, Woo-hoo! Like, I, don't, I don't know who for either, but at least it's a good it's a couple of good choices. Yeah. Uh, but alas, what would be more interesting <laughs> would be DeSantis versus RFK Jr. Oh yeah, <laughs> that would be it. That would be a fascinating race. Yeah, because well, both- I mean, I'll I'll say DeSantis. I mean, you know, as a Florida resident, Florida's fine. I mean, you know, everybody's all like, "Oh my God, Florida's a bad example." Oh, it's, it's fine. <laughs> it's, you know, um, you know. So I understand some people are. You know, he is a culture war. You know, bomb thrower. There's no yeah. question about that. He does it know. very well, though. He does it very well. He's got a real sense of theatricality that that, that <laughs> lends itself to running for president in in America. Yeah, and the things that you know, it's, it's like he gets in these scrapes that are like there's no good guys, like the Disney versus DeSantis thing. There's no good guys in that. Like everybody screwed that up, and everybody's acting like children. You know, so you know, I think that the problem for like Disney in that situation is, you know, is he, we have this maxim in the U.S. I don't know if you have it in the U.K., but you know, uh, try not to get into a mud fight with a pig. Everybody gets dirty, but only the pig has fun kind of thing. Like, like DeSantis is the pig, you know, um, and like, you know, Disney stocks are falling. I mean, they just had Little Mermaid, so they're raking in like billions now, but, um, you know, but uh, until that... that Little Mermaid, did that not... It's like the worst opening weekend of anything that Disney have released or something like that. It's no, I, think t- they did, I was just looking, I think I they got like 100... 17 million or something like I that. Saw I saw something like, that said it was t- it was doing terrible. Maybe that was like overseas. May- oh, no, I think overseas is terrible. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, and I don't know why that that is. But in the U.S., it did very well. It got like 117 million uh, in the U.S. at its opening weekend. Well, that's so, disappointing. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not the t- target demographic for it. Oh, uh, so, uh, but yeah. That's, that's, that was like the shining light for, for Disney, I think, at least in the U.S., was that they did well with that movie. But before that, their streaming service was hemorrhaging money. And, you know, um, yeah, I, I, people people's attitudes towards Disney have, have uh, plummeted. I think a lot of this culture war stuff they got embroiled in. Because they I destroyed. Think we're seeing, like, like people don't, what's that? They destroyed Star Wars. Oh, yeah, there's that, too. <laughs> I can <laughs> never forgive them for that. They destroyed Star Wars. 
Well, they did. I, I would say, I mean, I, I actually think Lucas kind of destroyed it, right? Wow. I mean, initially, you know, I mean, like the, the, I, I didn't even like Return of the Jedi. I thought I thought the problems were already evident in Return of the Jedi uh, to some extent. It's such an insipid, you know, the whole like Ewok thing, you know, it's just uh, <laughs> it really is kind of a dumb movie if you really like stop and think about it. Good special effects, but the first two movies were excellent and it just never recovered as a as a movie series. But, uh, anyway, the- but I, I was gonna say like I, I think what we're seeing like is like like consumers don't for the most part, want their companies to get involved in culture war stuff. I mean, we're seeing that with Bud Light, you know, and Target, you know, and this kind of stuff. Um, so I think companies thought that consumers wanted them to do this stuff. And now they're sort of learning that really customers don't. And so like the big winners have been like Trader Joe's. I guess you don't, probably don't have that in the UK, but it's no. a, it's like a restaurant, not a restaurant, like a supermarket chain we have here, like higher end uh, market Spencer's, I guess, kind of level type of stuff. Um, and you know, they have these like lines like Trader Mings and Trader Jose, which kind of like are ethnically coded. And of course, like three years ago, people were like, that's racist, whatever. And, you know, Trader Joe's was like, fuck you, you know, uh-huh. and, they're just gonna do it, you know and they're doing fine. You know, I, mean? I think I think that's what people want a little bit more of is just for less capitulation to, to some of this culture war stuff, you know, but anyway. Yeah, what do you think is going to happen with the whole Anheuser Busch and Bud Light thing? Because I've been I've been watching it, and like every single time I see it, it seems like they make some decision that makes things worse. Like they, <laughs> sounds it's like, about right. Like they like they they've seen this tiny little fire, right? And yeah. they've gone, oh shit, 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 and they've ran and grabbed a bucket of something, and they're going, oh fuck, right, throw it on the, and then and then it's like petrol. Yeah. It's, <laughs> oh no! Right, okay, crap, crap, crap! Grab that other bucket and throw all these more petrol. Like, <laughs> they're not doing well. Um, yeah, their their stock prices declined, sales have declined, uh, and they stayed that way. Um, so everyone's like, "Oh, this will blow over." It didn't, you know. Uh, it didn't. It didn't blow over. You know. So and it, you know, some of it's you know uh, maybe making a mountain out of a molehill sort of thing. I think the problem was less that they gave this. You know, it really was they gave like a six pack. To this uh, individual, and I'm gonna mess up their name, Dylan McClaney, I think. Or something like that. I, I apologize for goofing up, um, you know, their last name. Um, but and I don't think, you know, the Grand King, I don't think that's the hugest deal. Uh, and that, and um, Dylan seems like a nice person, as far as I can say. But you know, you know, but I think the the two issues. One is, I think there are a lot of complaints on one side that. You know, Dylan is sort, sort of comes across as a bit of a caricature, you know, both of trans individuals and of women to some extent. So, you know, there's some controversy around that. He's usually a very positive person. So, uh, or I should say she, you know, so I, I wish her well. But um, but I think the other thing is in some of like what could discover was in some of the narrative from, and I, I don't remember her name, but the, the person that was kind of in charge of the marketing strategy for this was kind of saying like, we need to change and we need to like, reject these old bigots you know that's not what she said but you know basically that was the message thing that came across and that yeah. and the worst thing a company can anybody you don't want to like and this is what politicians do too i mean you don't want to call like your customers assholes right you know it's like a really poor marketing strategy for the most part so i think there are probably ways that they could have blown over you know the initial thing but so i think it was less in some respects about Dylan McClain here again, I'm messing up her name um, and more about this sort of narrative of like 
telling your customer base that they're assholes, you know, sort of thing, you know, mm. I think other companies, I always pick on like Dunces and Dragons, I think it's kind of has had a similar kind of a problem. Um, but yeah, I think there've been a few companies that Star Wars, you know, have had that sort of like, you know, fan baiting, you know, sort of strategy of, you know, ah, we're ready for the racist outcry of, you know, putting a black actor in a stormtrooper, you know, sort of thing. And like, I don't think most people cared. No one cared. <laughs> no one like, no one cares if you write a good story. Like yeah, literally exactly. nobody cares if you write a good story. Do you know what? <laughs> Do you know when it becomes a problem is when yeah. there's no story or the story fucking sucks, right? Yeah. And the character's yeah. only thing is that they are uh, insert minority, you know, here. Yeah. Like, that's where it gets irritating. And people go, well, that's their only character trait. That's not a story. This sucks. Right. And they go, oh, it's racism. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think the thing we're you know we're seeing for the U.S. if you know if 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 what I understood from the box office was correct about Little Mermaid is obviously audiences in the U.S. are perfectly happy to see you know a black actress play Little Little Mermaid. You know, so it's not about the the casting or the race, but like you said, I think with a lot of these situations, it really is the issue of you know either there's a perception that the casting was specifically done you know for you know wokeness points and it yeah. wasn't based on the quality you know or the story or that sort of stuff or it feels kind of forced like i guess you know rings of power was a little bit like that i mean i understood what they were trying to do but it was kind of weird to try to explain like why are some elves white and why are some black like you need a story about why that's the case i'm open to the story but you need to like you know, genetically, this has to make some sense. You know, even some of the hobbits, I think there was a, you know, a, a white girl hobbit with, you know, biracial parents, but she herself did not appear biracial. So, you know. Yeah, granted, yeah that's a know. good point, actually. I hadn't thought about <laughs> that. <laughs> the hard Well, no, I mean, maybe you can say, well, you know, but, you know, not, not every kid necessarily looks like both parents. That's, that's fair. Maybe, you know, maybe, but maybe. You gotta, maybe like, that's... address it a little bit, you know, uh, or say something about it. I don't know um but um you know so i think in some cases that felt forced you know a little bit i think what they could have done in rings of power just have like, like the dwarves are black you know and then that would at least been genetically coherent you know what i mean like you're just sort of recreating one of the races as you know um as, as a as you know the equivalent in you know the the earth as people of color or something of that sort and that would have been maybe less obviously like clumsy or, or that sort of thing but I, and I think also people are, like pick up on the sense that you know there's um a double standard you know with a lot of this stuff you know so if you have like the little mermaid and you have colorblind casting for the little mermaid that's great you know but if there's like a story that was told by and again these weird, weird debates of like was the little mermaid a folktale or not you know i don't know that seems like a rabbit hole, but you know, if you have like an African folktale or just a story written by an African author that takes place, you know, somewhere around in Africa, is it okay if we have like a white actor play some of the roles in that? You know, so I think if people pick up on if there's a double standard, that inevitably causes, you know, yeah. some resentment around these things. So, I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm not losing sleep over who's playing Little Mermaid, but, uh, you know, but in, <laughs> but in terms of like thinking these things through. You know, it's it's predictable if people pick up on the standards being different, you know, and based on identity, then you're going to end up with resentment in that case. So, you, you know, the, the goal is good. I mean, you know, that making sure everybody's treated equally, everybody has an equal opportunity. Absolutely is good. But you also have to think through about like where you're going to like be creating, like I said, like pouring the gasoline on the fire rather than actually trying to, you know, to, to, to fix things. But, yeah, I mean. Yeah, I I don't know if I was like an executive, but I know I, Bush Bush when that all broke loose. But I 
uh, you know, I think sometimes saying less is better in, in some of these situations. And, yeah. you know, uh, you don't have to treat every Twitter outrage as if it's a crisis necessarily. And Yeah, you know, literally. Like, look at Netflix. Like, all the all the controversy they have with Chappelle and Ricky yeah. Gervais. And do you know what they did? They basically ignored it and everyone yeah. gave up and sort of moved on. Yeah, you know? Yeah. You know? Um, <laughs> And the, honestly, the thing with the casting as well that, that it, it kind of gets me is like, it's, it almost feels like it, it's like, right, okay, so we want to have stories or, or, or movies, etc., that are more representative of different, you know, races that live within the world and the country that we live in, like in America, right? Fair enough. Awesome. Okay. I honestly feel like it's kind of an insult to just be like, well, they don't need their own story. We'll just do this story again, yeah. but make them black. Like, yeah. do you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> like, instead of, like, giving them, like, yeah. a, an orig- like the, the effort of coming up with an original idea right. or right. or maybe, like, finding a way to tell, like, like you'd said, some sort of, like, African folk tale or, like, South American myth or legend or, like, you know, there's... I, there's there is source material ad nauseum through the right. entire human history of of fiction and myth and legend. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know who's to say you couldn't find some story that, and even if you can't find one, just fucking write one. You're the one of right. the richest entertainment companies yeah. in the world. You seriously telling me you can't <laughs> afford some writers to give you a screenplay? Like yeah. really? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's what I think, you know, with, with something like Little Mermaid maybe was the missed opportunity, as you're saying, is like, well, why not just find an interesting African folktale that hasn't been given much attention yet and tell that story, you know, and I think you'd find... I'd be interested to hear, to see that. Absolutely. Well, you know? like, you know, the, the cartoon version of Milan at least did very well, right? I, I guess, I never saw the movie version. I heard it was kind of a hot mess, but, you know, the uh, cartoon version did extremely well, you know, and so obviously American audiences and UK audiences are open to, you know, yeah. narratives from different parts of the world um so yeah i mean it does feel you know a little like a missed opportunity even just to you know you kind of say diversity matters right and this kind of stuff well you know we're open to hearing stories you know from around the world but you got to tell them you know just uh changing the stories you've already got around um you know isn't isn't and you get this thing like with audience identification too right so if, if you if you sort of like think of you know um any character say superman like as you have this parasocial relationship you kind of think that he idealizes things that you're important to you and you have this like you know weird kind of like parasocial relationship that people form with all harry potter whatever you know and then you change that character you know and you make it somebody different you know to that person it's like you killed them Hmm. uh to some extent you know and there again that's where you're going to get you know so for instance if you want like a gay superhero you know, don't make Superman gay because that's going to like change who he is for a lot of people. Come up with a gay superhero, you know, and a lot of people are going to like him, you know, or her, you know, um, you know. So that's a much more strategic way of, of addressing, you know, th- that type of an issue. But uh, yeah, I don't know. When I become Grand Pooba, I'm going to solve all these things, you know. Until until then, unfortunately, nobody listens to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully it'll come soon enough. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, Chris, I've I've taken up a lot of your time, so uh, I want to thank you. Uh, it's been been a really really fun chat. Um, yeah. Is there anything in particular you want to plug before we finish up? 
Well, I got a new book out, uh, Catastrophe, uh, The Psychology of Why Good People Make Bad Situations Work, uh, Worse. I should say not work, but worse. <laughs> Can't remember my own title. Um, and uh, it's kind of what it sounds like on the tin. Uh, so we talk about everything from, um, you know, sometimes individual stories of, you know, why people run back into burning buildings or why perfectly competent pilots crash planes uh, all the way through, you know, uh, everything from like Black Lives Matter to like why Germany's shutting down all their nuclear power plants and firing up coal fire plants instead and, you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh, you know, so why, why do people make bad decisions, you know, when they're trying to do the right thing? And it talks about all different types of human biases and, and uh, you know, why these things come up. So oh, yeah, that's really my kids through college by buying a book. <laughs> that sounds fun i'm gonna have to get picked that up what's it called it's catastrophe, catastrophe. Uh, the psychology of why good people make bad situations worse awesome right well i'll put that in the description below for people that sounds fascinating yeah. i'm gonna have to go check that out yeah. um but i have a, a pile of 40 books that i promised i'd finish yeah. <laughs> before i bought any more because do you know like because i've got this shelf and i got a couple more in the in the kitchen yeah. and i piled i like i you know all the books are there most of which i've read right and i was like oh there's not that many that i haven't read like sitting on the shelf and then i was like you know what i'm gonna challenge myself i'm gonna finish all the ones i haven't read by the end of the year and then i start putting oh no hang on i haven't read that one either actually yeah. like, oh no because i started that and then i got distracted and then it was like and all of a sudden you've got 40 books sitting on the table and you're like hmm Maybe this, maybe, maybe I have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like that with video games, believe it or not. I have a long list of video games I need to play. Uh, so it's all chores in it. Yep. <laughs> oh, even when you love it. Anyway, Chris, uh, I really, really want to thank you. Um, I'll put, yeah, links for everything there in the description below. So, um, yeah, thanks very much. Well, thanks for having me on today. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. No problem. Hey, everyone. Thanks for making it right the way to the end of the podcast. I love that you tuned in this long. Do me a favor, hit subscribe because 80% of you bastards are not subscribing, but you're watching my videos. See you next time.